Today's podcast is with Jared Egan, and it's about speed in the context of AFL football, all things speed, development, uh, how, th- how speed's interpreted, how it needs to be trained. Jared is currently the Athletic Development Coordinator at Sydney Grammar, so he has a really good handle on long-term development, but significantly, Jared started his career as a sprinter, and definitely a, a sub-11 second sprinter. His father actually at one stage was the fastest guy in, in Geelong at 10.4. So fair pedigree of speed development there. Uh, he worked for me at Geelong and he was a pivotal factor in, in, in helping players develop their running technique and their drills and obviously all the background conditioning and Pilates. Uh, was the high performance manager at the Kangaroos, went to England, worked in strength and conditioning with Celtic, uh, which is a massive club in Europe obviously. Uh, worked in tennis also, came back, worked with the Redbacks in cricket, worked with the Crows, and then went to work at Port Adelaide with Cameron Falloon, and then for two years, I think, with Darren Burgess at Port Adelaide. After that, he was in business for a number of years, and has finally, as I said at the start, finished up working in, in long-term athlete development at, at a school. So it's fantastic to to have Jared on the podcast and his wealth of knowledge and experience and obviously his his ability also to run fast, actually. So um, let's get chatting. G'day, Jared. How are you, mate? Thanks, mate. Thanks for chatting. Look, one of the things that I really was interested in chatting to you about was your new job. Can you give me a very quick explanation of that one? Yes. I'm Head of Athletic Performance at Sydney Grammar School, which is uh, public uh, private school in Sydney um, and basically and also head of or director of athletics so the, the actual sport there so I, I run that sport and I'm responsible for preparing all, all kids for all the sports they play um, at the school so anything to do with you know speed strength conditioning recovery rehab science, all of that sort of stuff is what I take care of. Okay, so I've explained your CV already and obviously a little bit about that. So that, that's really important in context because I want to talk about um, long-term de- uh, you know, athlete development speed and then speed in the AFL with, with young players at the end. Uh, today, I, I really wanted to talk about yes. speed in the context of AFL specifically, you know, not just the generic. And um, I thought we'd start with a little bit about GPS data that, that, that occurs on television that we see now and they have the fastest yeah. um, clock to maximal speed so the public obviously love that can you explain a little bit about that obviously i've got one game here along gary rowan tom stewart and jordan clark and i looked at that and i thought wow where's dangerfield you know can you explain a little bit about that gps data and, and other gps data related yeah. to speed and i suppose yeah, acceleration yeah. the only thing they're looking at there is, is just the the maximal speed that they've reached over the entire game. Uh, so that's that's their, what they get their max velocity as. So that could be, you know, it could be just one moment reached within the whole game when they've gone for a big long sprint. And generally, it's a, to get to max velocity. Most footballers are probably around 30 meters or more for the distance. They max max sprinting. Uh, some depending on how fast they are, some might be longer. But um, yeah, so compared to I mean, there's other variables that they're looking at, and what the reason why you might not see Dangerfield in there is because he he may not actually need to uh, to sprint that long. You know, and generally he does a lot of acceleration work uh, out of the centre, you know, exploding out of the middle. So he might only accelerate for 10 to 20 metres or less than that. 
um, might not reach his max speed. Uh, he may have a higher max speed than, than those guys, but never gets an opportunity to, to hit it. Well, never needs to. That makes sense. Yeah, well, he never needs yeah, to. Yeah, never needs to. Because he reads it that well that he just explodes on the ball, yeah. So, so that max yeah. speed that they talk about, that could be like sort of zigzags for about 20, 30 metres, and then you might just hit that for one metre. It's not like you... It's not like a sustained 10 metre, 36 or 35 kilometres an hour, is it? You're generally carrying the ball um, when, you're at, when you're at that sort of speed or it's, a, it's involved in chasing the ball or impacting the play. It's, yeah, it's difficult to, to be just continually running at that speed uh, for a long period of time because someone will chase you or you've got to get rid of the ball or um, yeah, the game will dictate that. So it's sort of sexy data. At the moment. It's sort of sexy data the pub, public like that it may help from an injury point of view that um, you might keep track of those things over the long term. Um, okay. So that, but, but where that's important is I'm assuming that sports scientists and, and high performance managers look at how much players have run say over 30 k's a number of times in the game, and then they're pretty happy that they've been dosed for their hamstring needs and injury prevention needs. Each team will probably have a certain metric that they need their players to sort of hit in a game or, over, or they're tracking it over over a week or a month and, and they'd, they'd be more be looking at it, if they've hit those measures or not and um, whether you know, at the end of the week or throughout the week they might have to top them up with, with more work within that range. When we talk about Dangerfield, obviously it's probably... Um, uh, without here in terms of acceleration. Uh, yeah. Just explain acceleration and decelerations and, and to some extent the metric in, in, in AFL. I think we're tracking the number of accelerations and the number of de decelerations that, which is a, good, a really good indicator of the, the high intensity efforts in the game. Pretty important variable from, from a sports science perspective to, to see how hard the guys are working and, um, and it's also if they're impacting the play, they're, they're generally getting more of those numbers. So you, you, you could argue sometimes that the, the max speed efforts is you, you might be chasing players and you might be losing, but generally speaking, yeah. you know, accelerations are those key moments in the game when you, you get a metre on an opponent, or two metres on an opponent. Um, as in the GWS Brisbane yeah. game, I think, where Trent Daniels you know, kicked that goal in the last... Yeah two minutes of the game. The data of acceleration, and therefore let's, we'll talk about the development of acceleration later, that's probably more important from a performance variable, whereas the speed data, that sort of how many times you've reached above 30 k's or whatever metric it is that clubs want, is probably more important from a injury prevention dosage. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I would uh, say is different from that is that um, the amount of sprint distance that they cover during a game is also really important. Yeah. Um, so not so much if they're hitting max speed, but the amount of volume of distance covered above 80% of max velocity okay. is really, really critical. Yeah. Um, and that's probably the other, the other thing that along with max accelerations and max decelerations, which, is, which will impact the play, and we found direct correlations with that and our you know, win-loss ratio and performance when I was at Port Adelaide. Uh, as a team, if the team hit over 5,000 metres of sprint distance 
within a game, that we generally win 95% of games in, that, in the 2014 year. Um, so that's over 80%, so pretty, yeah. over 80% of your max speed would be like, what, six metres per second? 7.1 metres per second we had as our oh, okay. spread distance, anything above that. So something that you can, was trainable as well, and was, you know, even when you're looking at, you're analysing training sessions, that was another, that was, that was looked at thing, you know, you're analysing drills and how much of that you're getting in a drill, and yeah. you know, the coaches were very aware of it. So, so the pure, but the, the upper level type data, you know, that 35, 34, that, that's, that's important to get the dose, to get the hammies and quads nicely conditioned. It's just important, I think, you know, start from a different perspective because obviously we get hit with GPS data and a lot of people, you know, are using that more than speed testing. You're in schools, how many schools are using GPS data? In Sydney, that I've noticed, I'm not too sure about uh, Melbourne schools because I haven't been working there, but I know, I do know some are using it, but the, the schools that we are competing against, um, majority of them have GPS in some form. Um, it may only be with you know, their, their football team or their rugby team that are using it, and uh, they, might, they might not be using it to the full extent that, say, an AFL team does and okay. analysing it to that sort of level. So we move on to AFL speed, we, we've got to stick with that, and I suppose what the other thing that the public get a lot is the draft results, you know, the, the AFL draft camps, the local state draft camps, and then all the under-18s get tested, you know, throughout Australia every year, I think in March. So, so those results, that 20-metre test, is fairly public, isn't it? If I can actually tell a little story here, and I know it's your podcast, but uh, I think it was in the, with Dr. Aldo Marchman at BFL Park, and I was helping him with the draft camp, and we were doing 40 metres on the grass, and it was wet, so I got the speed lights and did it in the carpet inside Waverley. And that was the genesis yep. of the 20 metre test. So I'm, I'm responsible for a, probably a pretty poor test, to be honest, because I think it should be 30 metres. Anyway, there's, there's a little, little story from me, <laughs> a bit of history. The 20 metre test is, is good for acceleration, but it, it, I, I've always thought, especially recently, it should be about 30 metres so we can pick up a player's ability to run max speed and obviously, you know, their ability to accelerate up to max speed. I agree. I think um, it's. If speed is probably uh, yeah, probably one of the main, or if not the most important thing that distinguishes elite players from sub-elite. And, yeah, and the test, I suppose, should, should really, um, if you're going to use it, should measure what you, I suppose, the, how do I say, the, the value you, you want. So in a, in a game, they, they generally don't reach max speed until they're getting to that sort of distance. So yep, yep. I think that's what we should be testing. Yeah, plus you could see a midfielder who can run into the game, you know, run into the 20 metres and 30 metres. But so when we talk about the 20, yeah. we will use the 20 as a bit of a sort of a benchmark because that's what a lot of these young kids are used to. We, we generally use three seconds as a little bit of a, uh, you, you know, below three, they're reasonably quick. Above three, they're a little bit slow. Certainly I found above 3.1, you got worried. And when they're yep. under three, you're fairly happy. What's your perspective on that? Using the 20 yeah, as, a benchmark, as a benchmark. Yeah. What you find in the AFL, I suppose in most teams, you can only have you know, a couple of players really that, that may be above three, 3.1 especially. Um, and then it's probably generally your Ruckman. And 
maybe one other, one or two other players in the team. Um, outside of that, it, it's really hard to justify having many more people at, a, at that speed. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and, and I mean, obviously, I did the test a lot when I was in AFL, and, and certainly Essendon and Geelong, and certainly Geelong, and you, you knew some of those players. Um, I think I think we finished up with three or four players over three at one point, which is fact, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they were a quick team, um, and obviously they could play footy, so they could actually use that speed. Okay, so 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 yeah. we've ascertained that, and that that then becomes, you know, if, if a young kid at 17 is doing 3.11 or 3.08, then unless they're an amazing player, uh, which is certainly important, or super super endurance sort of characteristics, uh, that that may be something they need to look at so that the recruiters aren't frightened off. Is that a fair call? Yeah, I think so. And I suppose it, they will get quicker as well as they mature. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's definitely, you don't want to be, um, you'd rather be on the lower than three if possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or aiming to get to at least that level. Well, that's right, yeah. And I, I, I certainly trained one lad two years ago, I won't say which club it was, and uh, he uh, he was over three, well over three, but he had a fantastic CV as a young footballer. But there was a real doubt on his speed, and the club was working more on his beat test at the time when they were doing beat test, not yo-yo. And um, he ran slow at the draft camp, and he's not playing now. So tough one, and I, he, he's probably a very good player who should be in the system. So, so let's go. Let's get on to footy now, specifically at the AFL level, and let's go. I'll just use two two players: Dangerfield and Kane Corns. I just saw some pretty interesting guys. I'm assuming Corns, and you knew him, was not that quick. Uh, no, I wouldn't say quick, no. <laughs> no, but super fit, eh? Yeah, he was, he was, he was, a, he was, a, he was a, um, above three 20 metre yeah. speed runner. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he was, an, he was, he was an elite uh, uh, endurance runner, though, so yeah. very good at, say, a 2K, 3K run. Um, was, yeah, it was really... Um, awesome at that sort of capacity and I think that's that's probably one thing I was um, I didn't mention before but if you are are not quick uh, say in a 20 metre then you really need to be elite at, at your endurance I think yeah. or have uh, something else that really makes you stand out and, which and, he did. and before we get a million people putting comments we're assuming that all these guys can play that's the assumption we're talking we're saying all these guys we're talking about and everybody we're talking about has got some ability to play footy tactically, technically. So so then we're, we're looking at that in this podcast, okay? Because obviously people are going to say, oh, we, we can, you know, he's a really good player. Well, we know that can play, right? So we're looking at the distinguishing factors. So so in a team like that, like Port Adelaide, when you were with them, you had you had Kane Corns, right? How many players like him could you carry? Uh, we, I think really we would have had him and maybe our Ruckman and if we're lucky, if maybe one other person, but uh, at the out, yeah, it, it was rare. Um, most other players yeah, were quicker than that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'd say um, not many. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> no, that's right, yeah. that's right, and I think I think that's as you said that um, if you if you go and test a whole lot of VFL players and amateur A League players and needful players, you'll get a yeah. you'll get a totally different um, 
spectrum. Yeah. All, all other midfielders pretty much were, 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 yeah, like someone like Travis Bokes was very quick of endurance as well. Same as Brad Ebert. Uh, they're all yeah very good at all qualities. I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. but not as good aerobically as say Kane was. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so obviously it's an intermittent speed sport where you repeat speed. Can you explain the role of uh, the the tank or the max VO two or the aerobic system, and then your speed and the role of speed reserve in the ability to repeat speed in a footy match, which becomes important. The guys who have an elite aerobic engine are able to. Uh, have minimal rest between efforts and in, in AFL there's, it's, it's about how often you can repeat high intensity efforts and the, the, ability, the higher the better your aerobic system the, the better you can replenish your, um, your, your energy levels your glycogen levels and, and continue to, to run far or just continue to run if, if you're not a, not a, a quick player but yeah those guys who are able to do both can <laughs> continually sprint at high levels and then recover quickly and do it again. Really your capacity of doing that is that I think the, the higher chance you have of, of playing is from a, you know, if you're just looking from a pure physiological uh, point of view. Therefore, from my perspective, I mean, obviously Cameron Ling was a really interesting player. Hopefully people remember him. <laughs> uh, it's getting on a bit now. Yeah. But um, he definitely, he was above 90 kilos. I'm, I'm assuming Corns was not super light either. When we tested him in the laboratory, he had this you know, elite endurance tank. We did work on his speed. We did work on his speed and we got him down to approximately three, if we use a 20 metres as a benchmark, uh, which was okay by getting him a bit more powerful than that. But we didn't ruin his gift of endurance. So I think what, what today's talk about is, is, is speed in the context of repeating speed, their endurance, their strength, and their ability to play footy. So do you want to comment a little bit about that? And, and the other player I'll just bring in is yeah. Matthew Scarlett that I had a lot to do with. Um, ridiculously yeah. powerful and crazy five metres, which was better than his 10, which was better than his 20, obviously fullback of the century. Yeah. Whether the rules, you know, whether the modern footy, you know, to 2011 would have found him out a little bit. We certainly didn't want to ruin his gift, but we certainly needed to get him sort of fit enough to be able to last a match. So do you want to just chat about people like that and, and that sort of interplay of yep. speed speed in the AFL in the context of everything else you have to do? I think, um, yeah, those guys are, are all really different. They they have unique skills. I think that's what you... or strengths. And I, I think it's important that you always have whatever that strength is with each person and you try and maximise that. You know, that, that's their gift. And you don't want to do, you want to train them in a way that will diminish that. So, um, but yeah, which if say Matthew Scarlett, you trained him and, and did a lot of long distance running, you know, 3Ks, um, anything, anything, anything long, slow and continuous, uh, it doesn't really help foster his strengths, which are acceleration, max, you know, really max acceleration and speed and being able to explode and it really can have an effect of slowing him down and making him inefficient. Um, whereas someone like Cameron Ling, who's a really efficient distance runner, and Kane Thorns as well, those guys can run those longer distances, and it won't it won't affect their 
they're they're running ability at all because they, they do it efficiently, they do it well, and their, their physiological setup it really maximises their ability for that. Um, and I think short bursts of intense speed work can also help them from a speed point of view without really detracting from that aerobic ability. Uh, whereas the opposite is uh, for guard wouldn't wouldn't work. There are some players, and probably a lot more of them now, that that are successful in the AFL who can do both. Um, and they're the one, like someone like a, a Brad Ebert really springs to mind, or even David Spriggs when or Geelong, they were, they were guys who were elite at speed and also elite um, at endurance, and they could train both ways. And you really you need to know, I think it's important to really know the, the athletes well and what their strengths and weaknesses are and, and train them that way. Um, don't, you know, don't try and make a cane corns into a, into a Matt Scarlet. Um, they really, yeah, it's, it's important to understand what works for each player and individualise training accordingly. So when we when we're talking about individual training for young players later, which we will touch on, it's probably the function of another podcast. To be honest, um, you know, it's certainly um, in the states now. There's this lots of um, people talking about speed, and they would say, "Oh, well, Cameron's slow, so he should should just do sprinting over the summer." But that could destroy him, his gift in terms of AFL. So it's a it's a complex issue. It's it's, a, it's quite a mix, isn't it? Or Matthew Scarlett runs 13 yep. minutes for 3Ks, or he runs 8 minutes at 16 years of age for 2Ks, so all he does is distance running over the pre-season because they're paranoid about the 2K at 16, and a, a young Matthew Scarlett might be wrecked for, for life. So it's, 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 it's quite a complex, uh, multifaceted, multi-faceted you know, situation, isn't it, to develop in the context of mm, that. It really is important to look at the way they play, and... Um, and how they use their their, physio, the, yeah, their physical, physical skills when they play and like the way Scarlet plays is short explosive efforts and he's not running all day, he doesn't play in the midfield so really there's no need for him to be doing that that sort of running anyway I think that's yeah, it's important to look at that and put it into perspective So we, we look at those two types of players you, you work on link speed but with the law of diminishing returns, not to the point where you're ruining his gift of endurance, and vice versa with Scarlett, you work on his endurance or his ability to repeat efforts in doing drills, but not at the not not you know not without diminishing his gift. So it's quite it's always maintain your gift and work on your weakness, but don't ruin your gift. I, I, I suppose I, I've been out of the game a little bit, and you've been out of the game a little bit. We, we, we saw a lot of rule changes occurring. We saw the rotations. Uh, with burst players and getting up to 150, 160 rotations a game, now they're down to 80, and now less rotations, you know, 666 set up in AFL. Yeah, there's two ways to look at it. The, the, the less rotations means you run more because you're on the ground more, but 666 might mean that a powerful player can stay at the end more. Uh, it allows them to conserve a bit more energy. Yep. Um, uh, but I think, yeah, definitely the, the changes in rotations has made a big difference on the amount of speed um, in the game. And I'd say, yeah, in terms of sprint distance, which that variable we took, I've mentioned before, and I think that number's probably come down quite a bit now, and it'd be difficult for teams to reach those sort of levels that, that we did in 2014 when you had 150 plus rotations per game. So you just get a very um, explosive player, rest him, and then just put him on the ground for a couple of minutes. Yeah. It's crazy how many rotations are coming up. 
not enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, really difficult to manage, but uh, it definitely helps maintain those qualities. Uh, but yeah. Okay, I think so, the players probably enjoy being around there longer. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Of course, they do. So, so obviously in the AFL, and you know, we'll, we'll move downwards in a second. But in the AFL, there's different recruiting strategies. Like some teams will pick more middle distance type runners who can play footy. Some people will go more for the burst player and the explosive player. And then there's a bit of a different approach to speed development, which obviously I'm not privy to with every club. Uh, every club's going to do it a little bit different. Some clubs will do it more on the track, I suppose. Some will do it within the drill. It's definitely the way their game style, the, the way they play, they probably recruit based on that. The way you train is going to change depending on that as well. You're probably going to focus more on promoting acceleration work and if, if that's your goal. And, uh, not follow long, long, slow distance work if you mm. yeah, uh, you're more about those high intensity efforts. But, but also what I was pointing to was some some teams are going to be or have speed coaches in there. They'll they'll have bought 180 machines. You know they'll have bought the resistive machines. They're doing very formal running. Oh, yeah. And some clubs will probably be doing less of that and probably more speed in the drills. Uh, I'm assuming there's quite a big variance mm. within clubs, within the 18 clubs, with the approach. Yeah, I like it. I think some clubs will try and get most of their conditioning even out of just football, mm. and, and mainly mainly football drills, and then hit them with really short bursts of, um, of specific speed stuff, you know, within that. Whereas, yeah, other clubs might break it up a lot more, like you're saying, and have you know, big blocks of conditioning and not have the balls out as much and get more of their volume running through through actual specific running drills. Yeah, I think um, what I found in particularly Port Adelaide was a lot more focus on the football and getting most of the endurance and change of direction type work from, from football drills and topping them up with what they needed from a speed perspective. Whereas you could have some clubs that just uh, say once or twice a week we're doing speed. So we, we're not sure about that. Every club does it different. My opinion on this is that all things being equal, you know, say, same, same ability, that acceleration is just an absolute key thing to develop in a player which could impact upon a game. I, I really believe that. But, but obviously <clears throat> some teams have just got better players and better systems. Geelong in the early days and obviously I always had a bit of a I suppose fetish for speed and acceleration <laughs> um, and technical development. You, you went to just the impact of that work you did then obviously you went to, to, to England uh, to the UK and worked with uh, soccer with in, in the big in the big smoke with Celtic and went to the Crows, we went to the cricket, went to the Crows with the Port. Just a quick overview of what you learned at Geelong, I suppose, what you got out of that, and then what you sort of thought about when you, you know, when you went to soccer and, and, and looked at the speed situation development, and then moving on to Port Adelaide. Even, even before 
before I got to Geelong and then growing up doing track and field and being a sprinter myself, I always sort of um, had a big you know, attraction towards the speed side of things and, and had a uh, had some good practice of putting that into, into place and, and training that and developing that. Um, so getting to Geelong then working with yourself and, and you know, I think some of the, the key sessions we did, I remember prior to the 2000 Olympics in, up in um, the Gold Coast and I mean, a Norwegian guy who was pretty influential, I think, to, to both of us in how they train. I think it was a Norwegian football team, sprinters over there using repeat 50 metre sprints and really focusing on developing their ability to, to run at you know speeds above sort of 90% of max velocity and getting getting guys used to that and so that they could repeat efforts at that sort of speed and, and never be really in danger of injuring themselves because they've already, already really adapted their body to, to running at high speed so that any time in the game they're always running in themselves in some ways. And that, that for me was when we practiced that in Geelong and I remember one session we did at um, down at Landy Field in Geelong and we 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 make guys do repeat 50 metre sprints with you know good um, two minutes rest, you know, walk 200, 300 metres in between each rep and, and we, we timed every rep and we, you know, it was high quality sort of running and you know, it, was, it was scary in some ways and I think even to coaches and to people watching it to see you know, the, the reaction of the players and um, how they respond to it, it was, uh, but it, it, that was probably, that stuck with me right through my career and I used that, that drill or that theory of preparing guys to run fast at, at those sort of speeds at every club that I was at and it turned into you know, a real focus of mine, particularly at Port Adelaide where we came up with a, a, a model for hamstring injury prevention based upon that um, predominantly and so rather than I suppose focusing too much on strength training as a, as a form of injury prevention, I always thought that maximal velocity sprinting was the most specific thing you could get to for sprinting which is generally was the, the main cause of hamstring injuries. I mean you can get them other ways but generally they happen when guys are sprinting fast and so getting them adapted to that was, was critical and yeah we, we came up with some really good theories and, and models to to uh, monitor the amount of speed guys are getting throughout throughout a pre-season and, and then having those measures to, so that we could prevent them during the season and set guidelines of how much speed they needed to attend hit each week in terms of you know, distance above 90% of maximum velocity as well as, I'm oh, sorry, 80% as well as uh, individual efforts above 90% and then maximum velocity efforts above 95%. And we, we set strict guidelines in place for that. And I felt that was probably the most significant thing I've, I've seen or used to prevent soft tissue injuries, not just hamstrings, but um, calves, hamstrings, quads. It was, it, it was vital. And that is, okay, yeah, so, so that's, and that, that, that was the key to that, was that, that session that, uh, in the Gold Coast with yourself. <laughs> uh, so, thanks for that. Um, so, so you worked with Cameron Falloon at Port Adelaide and then Darren Burgess. And you, you yep. yeah, a lot of your work, I'm assuming, was 
to assist with their speed development, their technical development. Can you give me an idea of what you would have done in, in a, well, let, let's say possibly, you know, obviously with Cameron they were a bit younger, but, but the, the year after when, when you were with Virgil, what, what, what would you have done in a sample session before Christmas with a group when you're working with them for speed? More technical or straight speed or a mix? Generally there would be some technical elements to it in form of drills and um, yeah, some, some, some we, we did a, you know, a bunch of stuff where we might be doing some, uh, some, some A drills, some, some drills with marching drills with broomsticks above our heads and you know, working on you know, stability through the core and hips but also maintaining the ability to, to um, you know, drive drive high knees and stiffness through the ankles and, and really just promoting that, those good technical um, models that we we wanted. Um, and there's, there's always an emphasis on that. I always try and dose them with some form of max velocity work, which generally at the start of pre-season wouldn't be very long at all. It might only be five efforts over 40 metres or 50 metres, but incrementally that would increase every session um, until they got to a point where they adapted to running at um, max speed which is 100% max speed, we'd always push toward. And that wouldn't do high volumes at that, it'd be volume decrease the higher faster they got. And then it'd be more about maintaining that from that point on throughout the season. So you might reach that, those sort of levels just before Christmas or close to, and then just after Christmas you might do a little bit more, and then it'd be all about maintenance and throughout the season just topping them up when they needed it. In terms of acceleration work, we. We're always doing lots of starts as well, five metres, ten metres, twenty metres, and then bringing into that, I always, always just to contrast a lot of bounding drills and hurdling drills where they're you know, working on their plyometric ability and then going straight into a sprint after that and uh, trying to sort of promote those qualities. I think bounding was always an interesting one with AFL players and uh, they weren't naturally good at it. I, I found that doing bounding, doing hops, doing repeated um, box jumps, um, single-legged sort of things over, over hurdles was really a, a critical value that uh, fact that helped for guys not, not just improve their power and, um, but translate that into performance and so you know given you've got a most we could take in there that everyone's pretty much doing their strength work and that's all that's all covered off and so once they've, they've achieved those sort of levels you've really got to find a way to to transfer that to the field and I think things like bounding Speed work and and plyometrics is a really good way to do that. There's a few players that I noted that were really good at that one. One particular was Daniel Wells. Always used to watch him be able to hop over things and it was just effortless, made no sound at all, and was uh, really quick and explosive. And so, it, and those sort of guys never when when well, he never used to have any ankle type injuries or knee injuries at that time. Um, he may have had some later in his career, but. I felt it was really important at the time for those guys and something that I now use with even with kids at this point at my current role and I'm always focusing on teaching them how to bound and hop and you know, the ability to be stiff through the ankle. It's a quick, simple drill that you can do and you don't need any equipment and it helps people get fast. And when we're talking about the current explosion of uh, information on, on Instagram, you know, a lot of it's gym related, so a lot of your junior development people within the AFL who are trying to get people faster focus on box jumps and Bulgarian squat jumps and things like that, but very few yeah. young players are coming through that have been taught 
proper bounding plyometrics, force application horizontally. Obviously, you're trying to work on with kids, but so so you did do a lot of that with with Port Adelaide with Cameron Fuller and Darren Burgess, I'm assuming, standalone bounding and, and, and yeah. to, to assist in the development of speed. Yeah. We're talking about speed, so we're yeah, we used to do. I get speed uh, standalone speed sessions every week throughout throughout pre-season uh, going into and even in season I tried to have at least sort of one hit of that per week. Um, it might only be in the form of a, at the end of a warm-up and then they go into a you know, 15 minute block of, of speed um, but it, it was maintained throughout the whole season and, and then the, the max speed elements as well were also maintained and, but throughout pre-season it was really structured all the way through um, Two, you know, two sessions a week, probably uh, most weeks throughout pre-season. One week might be fo- one session might be more focused on acceleration work, bounding, plyometrics, and those sort of shorter explosive efforts. And then the second session would be geared towards um, max velocity, uh, repeat speed se- sessions. Where you're trying to use that almost as a, uh, a bit of a hamstring strength work. As, um, that session, the second one, um, really specific hamstring strength. Speed strength. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I felt like that was really pretty cool. In terms of technique, uh, I, I was really strong on getting players to the up to a little bit if it was possible, be it physically or by drills or by whatever means. How, how, what things technically at the AFL level did you find you had to work on and try and impact and what did you do to do that? Um, Overstriding was, was really common in AFL and I think because of the, the, the probably the influence of endurance type running, training, guys tended to not be, uh, tend to overstride quite a lot. So working on when we're doing speed drills and repeat, repeat efforts such as say repeat 50 metre sprints with a good quality speed, putting cues in place within each of those set drills rather than just telling them to, to run and hit a certain time, there'd always be a cue of um, bringing your foot over your knee in the front side mechanics side of it and you know, some some good little focuses on each drill, our mechanics is worked on and just trying to ma- maintain that posture of a, you know, not having too much anterior tilt in the pelvis, sort of little factors I think were very important uh, to just drill that home. And I found over time that you know, a lot of people used to say that you can't improve, can't change running technique. And I found I had significant changes in running technique just by doing those things repeatedly over. A, you, know, you have to do them over a long period of time, but you can definitely make changes and improve improve speed in the long term. Well, I mean, I, I suppose one of the reasons I employed you was that you'd run under 11 seconds. <laughs> you'd have to do a bit of experience in strength and conditioning, but. With the Geelong players in the early days, I used to use you, and so I'd grab those four players and I want them to be able to do straight leg bounding, dead leg run, I want to be able to do this, 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 sort of tick the box, in, 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 and I kept doing that even when you left, I kept employing people that could teach running technique and make sure that the players had a good arsenal of uh, drills that they could, uh, could, could do. I suppose the other thing yep. is, and we'll, we'll quickly touch on this later, but it's again probably the the need for another podcast is some some players need to work on their lumbo pelvic area I'm assuming their range of motion and obviously their physical capacities with glutes and stuff like that you know so it's not just as simple as do some drills is it you know I, mean, I think it, 
it, it helps transfer into you know for a lot of rehab as well. It's really important and to regain those those qualities if, if significant injuries happen. Being able to do these drills again helps people rewire and uh, learn how to run again. And you know, particularly people who have an ACL injury or are out for 12, nine, twelve months, bringing them back in and doing a lot of a lot of running drills. I've always found has uh, had a massive impact on on their return to play. So there was one example that was, I think, Robbie Gray at Port Adelaide had a really bad um, ACL injury and started running. And when he got back to running, he was he just couldn't run. He was in too much pain, so we just had to step right back and just we did running drills for pretty much a month, just running drills over and repeated them, you know, running backwards, forwards, and we had the things, you know, a lot of side to side work and other things, and eventually came back to running, and it, it was a massive difference, and he was able to run normally again without pain um just because i think he'd relearned those motor patterns well that's a really good point I was, just, running I was just listening to an altus speed course i was doing the course and they talk about plan b and plan b is they they call them dribbles which is dribbles running over your ankle running over your calf you know those sort of and different yep. types of things like that, that 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 are very close to the biomechanics of running when you're injured uh, but not quite, so that the transition then to, to actually running is, is a lot simpler than if you just do you know, jogging and bike and, and leg weights and stuff like that. So it, that, that reinforces yep. you know, that plan B type philosophy. I, I certainly found also that some players simply couldn't control their pelvis, didn't have glutes, uh, some were really tight. So there were other things I found that over the years you yep. had to work on. To, 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 to improve the ability to do drills and then take them into an actual running perspective. Soccer, football, huh, Celtic, what did you learn there yep. in terms of speed development and change of direction? And that? What did you see? What, did, what impact did that have on your Well, what I saw was that, they, that their natural ability to change direction was, was a long way ahead of what I'd seen in the AFL. Change of direction speed was was, was amazing. Um, I think we're talking Dane, players here, aren't we? We're talking, we're talking Celtic, aren't we? We're talking really. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, yeah, they're, they're in the they're playing European Champions League teams like Manchester United, uh, Real Real Madrid, all these sort of teams, and so they're 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 probably the uh, top echelon of, of elite athletes in the world. Um, they, you know, they're good at everything. They're good at they're good at running fast. They've good endurance, but they're their lateral movement skills were outstanding. Because of the games they play and the actual nature of football, you have to, you, you're required to change so much more, which is within the, the game. I would, I would get those guys, you know, in, in warm-up drills to do things like speed ladder drills and, and other change of direction drills, and it was, it was amazing to watch them. <laughs> they were so good at it. You're miles ahead of what I'd seen before. I thought that that ability would help football. I mean, probably not quite talking about speed, but we are talking about first step and then acceleration, I suppose, and second step, you know, footwork into acceleration. I, I would have thought that some of those qualities would help AFL footballers, but it's tough to develop, isn't it? Because of the way drills are set up when juniors are, they're long and they're just sort of systematic type drills yeah. and they're not in close. Modify the space that you're, you're working those drills over to, mm. to be able to have a good effect on that and that's what I think um, I started to see toward the end of my time working in AFL was I really bringing, making spaces tighter and making guys work within more confined spaces mm. and f forcing them to, 
actually get better at changing direction and using their feet. Which is probably something that should happen at, um, at junior level, isn't it? Really? It probably transfers quicker as well when you're doing it in that, that situation with the ball. The, the actual standard drills would say you doing change of direction drills that oh, I found almost um, came to the point where they were good warm up exercises and just general conditioning for for those qualities. We, to get them to improve it, it had to have some sort of competitive element to it to really make them work at the intensity they needed to improve. Yeah, reactive agility, in other words, okay. yeah. So, explosion of information on speed now, and uh, I follow Twitter and there's Feed the Cats with Tony Hollier, who said, any, don't do any endurance, just do short speed and uh, time sprints, and then uh, JB Marin, who's pumping out information, and Matt Cross with the sled work, Altus is pumping out courses galore now. That can be quite confusing for the young AFL S&C person that's working on speed development. Yeah, trying to work out exactly what you should be focusing on is, is hard. But I think you've got to probably look at you know, you, the circumstances when you're training a team. You, you don't, you're not training one-on-one. You're not training um, elite track and field athletes. So. I don't think it has to be perfect. You've got to look at you know, the, the main qualities that you want to train, and that's probably accelerating, decelerating, and and you know, getting used to running at close to max speed. And then probably putting into some into practice a few drills that that help promote those those qualities and that lead to that, like you know, bounding, gallops, um, hurdle drills, uh, running over hurdles, and just some some. I even I think sleds are really really useful and heavy sleds particularly uh, with, with groups you can you can get some good results by doing some drills like that you can hit a lot of people at the same time and you don't have to the, the drill itself will force them into using good mechanics okay um, yeah 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 that's a really good point actually yeah trying to find things that I mean obviously a short a short hill sprint is a good one uh, because yeah. it instantly teaches good mechanics so trying to find constraints which will reinforce good mechanics. This is one of the things I've got from um, listening to Dan Faff is that there is a very basic biomechanical technical model, you know, you've got all these people talking about sprinting, but there is a basic biomechanical technical model, don't overstride and maintain lumbar pelvic, blah, 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 blah. Not to get too worried about all the products that are out there because there are a lot of people pushing out their theories. We get hit a lot with the Franz Bosch type front side mechanics um, and obviously he extended that to being able to uh, doing drills where you could change your um, technique because of different constraints with aquabags and that. What, what's your comment on all that for AFL, um, for speed development? For speed development? You know, when I was at LA Crows we, we used, uh, had a few influences coming in promoting some of Franz Bosch type drills and I found some of them were useful, particularly for you know, lumbar pelvic control, and they, they could help in that area. I think if, yeah, I just found that it was probably a bit too one-dimensional um, for AFL. The guys needed to, needed a bit more of a broader approach, I think. I, I used to still use B-skip drills and, and, and other drills like that as well, and I thought they were really useful too. A bit of a loaded question, to be honest, but it's very big. In rugby, rugby, you see a lot of um, the influence of 
Oh, Bosch is here, and I'm just wondering whether, you know, footy's, I suppose, 360, as you, as you sort of mentioned, and a lot of that sort of yeah. step out, it just doesn't seem to relate a little bit, spending a whole lot of time. And it was interesting when you made the comment that a lot of soccer players have developed their ability to change direction very quickly by doing close skills, and I think that's sometimes, if we spend too much time developing routines, um, we, we miss the opportunity to develop, you know, reactive agility. But yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I think there's there's elements of yeah. it can be used. It's actually like um, always bringing the ball in, even with doing sprints. And uh, you know, one drill I remember doing at the Crows was to have uh, players um, try and bounce, run and bounce at speed, and be and be chased by another player. Um, and things like that, where you you have to be careful because they came around pretty fast when it's competitive, but doing things like that in a competitive match really got the, the guys involved and in wanting to do it. They really enjoyed those sort of drills and they're also specific to how they run during a game. They, they generally have got the ball. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it changes well, their mechanics a bit. Well, that's right. And I, I mean, I used to sometimes do warm-ups where you do a classic drill and then you do something that's somewhat Bosch-like, I suppose, some sort of change of direction and some people running at you or some constraint, and then a drill with the ball. So do it all in one, two, you know, contrast it, which is useful to go pelvic area and sprinting, the ability, you know, Pilates-type exercises. Um, I, I, I didn't want to talk too much about conditioning, but that's certainly a contentious issue and the ability to, to maintain pelvic structures. What, what's your history or your experience with that area with players? With AFL guys, when they are running over you know, repeated longer efforts, they tend to get sloppy um, or you, you have some issues with rumbo pelvic control and you know, particularly causing issues like uh, the osteitis, um, groin issues. In, in using Drills like using Pilates, I think, was, was really good at, at depending on the level that they were at and how, how bad they were to bring in those sort of things to teach them the basic ability to control their core. Gradually making that more uh, applied by you know, bringing them onto the ground into a drill, into a running type drill, and slowly progressing that, I think, helped guys be able to cope with high endurance efforts, so I suppose high running loads you get in AFL. Um, because they're not naturally always the most efficient distance runners, they, I think they need as much help to you know, handle that sort of load. The heavy guys, they're, they're also carrying a lot of muscle and, um, and doing a lot of sprint work as well, so you know, they need to be really strong through that area. Okay, so that's really interesting. So, so if somebody's got some issues with lumbar pelvic control, do some specific Pilates type work, core control work, you know, uh, controlling your pelvis, but uh, it's exactly what I found, but then try and take that into doing some running drills, where running drills can be called lumbar pelvic control, and then obviously merge that into um, full efforts. Yeah, you'd agree with that? Yeah, and even, yeah, and even taking it towards when they do their running, that they step before that might be doing repeated um, sort of tempo running, that, you know, with that good control, like distance, so you're getting them into fatigue sort of positions and try and make sure that they can maintain their technique. In a lone Pilates session, you've got to quickly merge it into what you're doing on the, on the pitch with drills and running. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. It was, if you did do 
uh, repeat effort running, I, I found was better than doing longer, slow efforts because you're able to maintain that within their running. You know, if they're doing, say, a, a football training session and you want to get some conditioning in, that inter- interval work was better than doing really long, slow running because you could still promote those sort of lumbo-pelvic control and make sure you, that guys are maintaining good technique with their running. Um, and when you do longer, slower stuff, it's really hard to do that. Let's finish with, with young kids with development, with long-term development. And I think I'll just finish with a very specific example. You're, and this will impinge upon what you're doing now, you're in an under-14, under-13, under-14, under-15 footy club in, in, the, in the suburbs. You've got a group. You want to incorporate some speed into the session, into the warm-ups. How would you do that? It's Tuesday night, 5.30. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Having a, a warm up, it, it might have to go slightly longer, but um, I think uh, focusing on uh, not worrying too much about doing longer, slower running at the start of the warm up, ignoring that, going straight into actually um, using, you know, say, it might, be, it might be 50 metres distance wise, and just I would generally just get guys to start running stride work straight away um, at, at a speed that's you know, it might be 60% of what their, 50, 60% of what their max is, and then that on in-between efforts, doing some drills as they're, as they're, they're walking back and resting, gradually increasing the speed of, what, of, what drills, of what their drills repetitions. You, what drills do you work on with a group of kids that, you know, a random group of 30 kids? Some of the, some skipping drills, uh, some A-skip yeah, a drills where even A-skips, but also working with B-skips, and then going to skips for heights, consistent hurdle gallops or galloping drills, I think are really good as well, where you're trying to promote that ability to, to, um, to yeah, that plyometric ability. Um, they're quite fun as well. I have some sleds and things like that, five or six of them out with, a, with some weight on each, um, and start getting to do some sled work so that you can get them into that acceleration mechanics and start to improve that sort of area. If you don't have that uh, sleds and things like that, there's some other drills that I, I do called, uh, it's like a, it's called squatty running. You're basically running, um, running, running, but slightly squatting into the run. And it really increases the, the amount of ground impulse that you're getting and that ground reaction force. I guess you guys to really feel through this from the feet up. When you see people doing high knee running, it's often butchered, isn't it? People leaning backwards, just throwing up their knees in the air. It's, it's quite poorly done and, and sometimes yeah. detrimental to their running technique. What's, what's a comment on that in this scenario of young players? Well, I don't think it, it, it is training um, a quality that, that helps them get fast. It's a simple thing because they're, they're lifting their knee probably too high and um, and not really working on the ability to, to push off the ground and, and produce force from the ground and be stiff through the ankles and knees. And I think those sort of, that's why uh, something such as the squatty running drill I talked about, or even a high knee drill where you, you're, um, you're not trying to, you just have to control some of those factors and keep them in a good posture and keep that real high impact on the ground and high ground reaction force. I think. Mm. Um, and if you're doing it, you're doing the standard high knees, which most people do, they're, they're really just flapping around in the wind and uh, not really achieving much. That's right. And, and 
I suppose for a parent who doesn't know much about running drills, it's probably just important to include some acceleration and keep it fairly simple and just make sure you've got an element of speed in there at the start. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, five, ten metre acceleration, you've got a little hill nearby doing some, some short hill sprints. Um, yeah, because you know, another way around, you know, not, not having equipment to do sleep and just doing some partner assisted type drills where you hold, I think mean, we used to do quite a few of them, where you hold someone from the front and then let go. There's a lot of confusion also where a lot of people do speed but it turns into a fitness session because they just do a thousand efforts one after another and kids are tired and they're not really doing speed. You know, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a big area and quite an important area and yeah. poorly understood. Yeah, um, you've probably seen that on the yeah, that's a good point there. I think volume yeah, is really important and having you know, lots of rest in between. Uh, these drills only, only maybe trying to hit a couple of qualities or one quality within a drill, within a session. Um, and keeping the session fairly short is, uh, it helps get your best result. Um, yeah, Max, like for example, when we, I, I always try and over a pre-season period and you know, especially with, with, with footballers is doing, say, repeat 50 metre sprints. And it, might, and it might be as simple as just getting the guys to to warm up by doing uh, a gradual increase in speed. They might do five reps and then going into five reps of, you know, about 90% of their max speed and getting them, but making sure in between reps they've got sort of, you know, two minutes at least of, of rest so that they're, they're fresh every time they do one of those, those runs rather than being fatigued because it, when they're fatigued they're just not going to hit the speed that you want. And that's the biggest challenge to, to make change. That's the biggest challenge I think for local coaches in speed development is that um, they're freaked out when players are resting for a minute. <laughs> it just doesn't sort of yeah. doesn't it doesn't gel with a lot of coaches, and so I suppose yeah. rarely is anybody working on speed in these sub elite environments because of that, because it just morphs into a fitness session quite often. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think if you. The thing that you can, they can do, those coaches at that level, could just reduce the length of their warm-ups. Um, I think a lot of warm-ups can be probably too long, um, and yeah, you can you can probably. I've found over the years that a really streamlined warm-ups to get really specific straight away, and then you don't take as long to get those sessions done, and you can get into football quicker. <laughs> Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a massive area and what, what, what obviously is critical is that at this junior level that, that they are working on their, their, their speed, their mechanics, their acceleration and, and then obviously the other topic would be the physical qualities around, surrounding that. Um, any, any last comments on speed development that you'd like to, to give? It's, it's just such an important area. Well, you've, you've got to be doing it, I think, you know, at some, you really got to do it all the time. Um, so it might vary in how much of it you do, but because it's it's important for everyone, you some element of it at every every stage of training is really important. Okay, that's a fantastic way to finish. Thanks, thanks heaps for that, Jared. Thanks to Jared for that fantastic podcast on speed in the AFL. I don't want to talk about the specifics now, but certainly 
the, the main theme was that it was speed development in the context of playing Australian rules football. And I think that's really important because sometimes we look at speed development in total isolation. So hopefully you got a lot out of that. And uh, I think there could be some further podcasts on speed development in offshoots of what we spoke about. Thanks a lot.